welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Awesome. You're doing well, guys. Fantastic to see so many of you come out such a early time in the morning. Actually, I need, I need a watch because I don't want to go over time here. Actually, this will do. This will do. It's cool. What have we got? Excellent. What I want to share with you this morning is something that uh, is close to my heart. Um, it's something that has been brought to the forefront of my thinking in more recent weeks because of something that's happened to a close friend of mine. And before I get into the subject matter, I just want to say that it's a subject uh, that I want to talk about to help and equip, not condemn and make people feel bad. But the nature of us getting together as men is more than just drinking beer, having fun and just doing stuff that anyone can do anywhere at any time. This is an opportunity for us to men to go just a little bit deeper. Okay, And so I want to speak on the subject of purity. Okay, and uh, I want to start with just a scripture from the Bible, and it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it says, Don't let anyone look down on you. This is a man by the name of Paul writing to a young man by the name of Timothy, and Paul was saying to Timothy, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but even in your youth, he's saying, Set an example in speech. In other words, Paul's advice to this young man was be an example in the way you speak. Be an example in life. In other words, the way you do your life. Be an example. The trouble is with a lot of Christians that they play church on Sunday and then they act like like everyone else in the week and people get confused. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, Be an example in the way you speak. Be an example in the way you live. He says, be an example in the way you love. Be an example in faith and be an example in purity. Now, I looked up the word pure and uh, in the thesaurus, and here's some other words that would describe pure. Unadulterated, uncontaminated, unmixed, undiluted, unblended. Sterling, solid, refined, 100%, clarified, clear, filtered, flawless, perfect, genuine, and get this, the last one, real. If you want to be a real man, it's about being a pure man, a sterling man, a 100% man. The trouble is when I mention purity, particularly in church circles, people get real pious and conjure up all sorts of thoughts about a Christian pure man and that looks boring and we kind of get the image of Ned Flanders come to mind and I don't think that's what Paul is telling Timothy to be. He's not saying be Ned Flanders, he's saying be a real man, go against the flow and be an example in the world in which you live. Because anyone can do stuff that's easy. But to do stuff that's hard and to do stuff that not everyone else is doing and to do stuff that you're going to get teased about and mocked about and paid out about, that takes a real pure man. 
When you're in an environment and everyone's swearing and everyone's mocking and everyone's cheating and everyone's doing the wrong thing and you do, that's easy just to do it. But when you actually stand up and say, you know what, that, that's not right. I don't want to do that. And we do it in a way that is not pious and we do it in a way that's not just legalistic or religious, but in a way that is just genuine. I believe this is what Timothy was being asked of from this man, Paul. This message today is a message for men that are single and married. Is anyone here who's not single or married? Maybe you might say, well, I'm dating. It's for those that are dating as well. It's also for the men that are young and old. Is there any that are not young or old? You're deceived, you're old. <laughs> Anyone else want to have a go? Not now. Not now. <laughs> you're older than me. And so it's not just a message aimed at one particular group of men, it affects each and every one of us. I know there's been extremes in the area of purity, and some of those extremes have caused more problems than solutions. And what we've had in the church is a message that isn't preached about what not to do. And then we go about doing it, but we do it behind closed doors. And that's not the type of purity I'm on about. I'm not talking about a purity that is a facade. I'm talking about something that's genuine. I'm talking about something that's real. Because real is the only thing that's going to bring health. And whether you like this or not, the basic building block to society today is and always will be family. And we need to protect the family. And so what I want to share today is not to bring condemnation for those that are guilty of certain things in certain areas, but I want to bring teaching that brings liberty and truth that can bring health that can uphold the family. You see, more recently, a good friend of mine who's led a church for a number of years has been found to be guilty in an extramarital affair. And I don't know about you, but that, that hurts at so many levels. And I'm not here to mention who that is. Some of you will know. But if I was to mention who it was and you was to know this guy, you would be shocked. Because he was, you know, one of the most loving, strong, mature church leaders. At least that's what you were led to believe. And I believe there was elements of truth to that. But the reason I bring him up is because if a guy like that can fall in this area, all of us are susceptible. And probably one of the biggest lies that we can believe is that that will never happen to me. That can happen to every one of us, myself included. Every one of us is susceptible to sexual temptation. Temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Temptation comes, absolutely. But it's what we do with that temptation. And again, I'm not here to um, bring this man into the spotlight. I'm not here to bring attention to this man. I'm here to teach in such a way 
that can bring health because at the end of the day, there's a lot of hurt attached to this one man's decision. There's the wife. There's the three kids. There's the husband of the other woman. There's the church. And there's the extended church family. This one act has affected a lot of Christians in this nation and this city. And it causes some confusion for some people. But instead of putting our head in the sand and and just ignoring the subject, I want to just bring it to light so that we can learn from it and move on. And this is not just for married couples. This is not just a message to uh, uh, affair-proof your marriage, although I hope it does that. But it's also to stop the sleeping around that's going on. We are constantly having to deal with this, you know, jumping into bed with anyone that you see fit. This notion that, you know, I want to do whatever I want to do as long as no one's getting hurt. But here's the thing that we're failing to see. People are getting hurt. We live in a society where people are doing whatever they want and they say, as long as no one's getting hurt, the trouble is if you stop just for a moment and stop and stop thinking about yourself, you will see that there are a lot of people getting hurt. There's stacks of people getting hurt. There are the children involved. There's the party that's been cheated on. There's the diseases. There's the confusion. There's the breakdown in society. There's the lack of trust. We live in a society today where very few people actually want to get married because they don't have any faith in it anymore. So the very nature and the very institution of marriage is being hurt. And we can sit here and mope or we can say, thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the church. This is an opportunity for us to have our finest hour, not by being religious, not by being pious, but by being real. And putting things into place that are not in place to make a difference. I figured today would be a little bit of those quieter days. And that's fine. But again, I just want to say everything is on the platform of love and grace, not condemnation. The very nature of real men is to train and to equip and to help men. And I believe if this area of sexual temptation can be overcome and and, and dealt with on a daily basis, I think it holds us in good stead. And it's not that we may rub other people's noses in their mess but that we can be, like Paul said to Timothy, an example. I was talking to Matt, who's just come back off his honeymoon. Congratulations, Matt, wherever you are. It's great to have you with us. I said, how's married life? He said, it's awesome. I said, got any advice for me? He said, not yet. I said, well, I've got some for you. Never come off your honeymoon. I celebrate 20 years uh, being married to Kath next February. We dated for eight years prior to that. That's 28 years. I know there are guys here who can almost double that number. And I say, thank God. It's awesome. It's awesome. And you don't have to believe the lie that marriage doesn't work. That marriage is this old institute. Marriage is God's plan. And the reason it's not working in so many situations is because we take God's plan but we do it our way and it equals problems. 
If we would take God's plan and do it God's way, it would always work. Always. And I believe that society would be a lot better off for that. You think of most of the problems that we face today is just because we just do our own thing. Isn't it amazing that most of society, at least in the community in which we live, the city in which we live, we ignore God. And yet when problems happen, we blame God. We say, if God's a God of love, why do these things happen? Which is a little bit unfair because when you ignore everything God says to do, it's really unfair to blame him for something that's gone wrong in your world when you haven't done one thing he said to do. You know those unplanned pregnancies? If we actually just did what God told us to do, that would never happen. It would be eradicated. The sexually transmitted disease, it would never happen. God's got a plan that can fix this city, this nation, this community right now if we would just... Honour his ways. And again, it's not so that we as a church can say, look how good we are. It's to actually be an example and a help to people in their time of need. And so what I want to do in the short time that we have is just look at some steps, some things that we can do to attain a pure life. And they're so practical It's almost like telling you how to breathe. Breathe in, breathe out. They are that simple. But many of us are not doing them. And so when it comes to leading a pure life, be that as a single man, be that as a married man, the first thing I want to highlight is this. Avoid situations that breed temptation. Just avoid them. Now, I realize when I say that, there are some things that you just can't avoid. But let's face it, there's lots of things that we can avoid. In other words, don't put yourself in compromising positions. For example, if you're a young single guy here, and you want to stay pure, and you want to honor some of the young, beautiful single ladies that we have in this church, let me just tell you, a guy going to a girl's house where there is no parents present is putting yourself in a compromising position. Add to that some nice music. Add to that a little bit of red wine. Are you against drinking red wine? That's not the point. Is beer okay? It's not the point. What about some of that non-alcoholic stuff? That's not the point. Guy alone with girl, red wine, suggestive music that you just maybe take into the bedroom and just so happen to start doing things that you shouldn't like, you know, whatever. And it leads to full-blown sexual intercourse And then you say, oh, I don't know, it just happened. It didn't just happen. It started the moment you drove to that person's house. Got it? And you don't have to be a Christian for a thousand years. And you don't have to know everything about the Bible. You don't have to understand revelation from cover to cover to know that you are going into a fire. 
See, here's the thing about church. This is the dilemma with leading a church. Don't you just got to love everyone? Well, let's just think that thing through. I've got to love everyone. So some guy messes up. Cool, I can love him. Some guy has an extramarital affair. I can love him. But I'm also called to love more than just that one person. I feel I have a mandate to protect some of the young girls in our church. And if I just glibly say, that's all right, mate, don't worry about it. Is that really loving that young girl that he's just taken advantage of? Or had the extramarital affair with? Can you see the dilemma? And so many people throw these scenarios at us without having thought them through. The Bible actually says love hates evil. And as I've said many times before, if there was a old man at the playground pushing some young kid that he doesn't know on the swing and you just extend love to that guy and let him do whatever he wants and maybe seduce this young child off that swing into a particular park and in the name of just loving that guy, you just let that happen. Is that loving the young girl? See, these are the things that many people don't put into the equation when they label the church. You're meant to just love us. Yeah, we, we can love you. And again, this is not about condemnation. This is about loving you. And the best way I know how to love you is to bring this teaching to you today. Because I'm, I'm tired of dealing with this stuff. Yet, I know it's the rest of my life I'll be dealing with this stuff. I've resolved that. But if I'm going to deal with it, I'm going to get to the root issue and I'm going to deal with it. So do yourselves a favour and just avoid situations that breed temptation. We have in our offices, in our church, windows in all of our doors so that no matter who we are counselling, no matter who we are talking to, at any time someone can poke their head in and just see what we're up to. Don't you trust it? No, no, it's just a safety net. It's just creating an opportunity for us to avoid a situation that could compromise our purity. Because you know what? Something doesn't have to happen for someone to say it happened. And so we have little windows. Pete, I trust Pete. My brother, I trust him, but he's got a, his, his windows, he's a big window. <laughs> That window is not a lack of trust. That window is about loving and covering. Got it? So why does Christianity have to be boring, mundane, and, and just stealing all the fun? No, this is love. This is protection. This is what it looks like. The trouble is we've been so distorted what real love looks like, we don't even recognize that anymore. And so us avoiding situations that breed uh, temptation is me loving my wife. Refusing to be alone with a woman. And so anytime I have to speak to a woman, and, and I have to do that plenty of times, it's going to be a place where others can see me. It's not going to be, oh, look, I'll just call around your house. I've just got to catch up. I've just got to pick up something. That I've just got to is like, just, when, when you find yourself, I've just got, if it involves a person of the other sex, just avoid it. Avoid it. 
Don't think that you are that strong. We have got some incredibly gorgeous girls in this church. And I'm old enough to be their father. And I feel like to many of them, I am their father at some level. And I hope some of you feel like that too. But a father doesn't wait for the opportunity to seduce. A father loves and protects. And for you to think that you're bigger and better and stronger, that you can just go around some gorgeous single lady's home where no one else is home, you're a better man than me. When I think of some of these young girls that are still single, I think it's a crime. Some of you should be locked up. <laughs> some of you guys are like, there's no good looking girls in our chair. Are you kidding me? You need lining up against the wall and slapping with a phone book. <laughs> we have some of the greatest girls, but they need loving. They need leading. They need caring for. They're not for there for you just to have your moment with them. I said to Matt, don't come off your honeymoon. He says, I intend on staying on my honeymoon for my whole married life. And so this message applies to Matt, who's absolutely madly in love with his new wife, and that's fine. But whether it's the new marrieds, those who've been married for years, those that aren't married, avoid situations that breed temptation. Secondly, let me just say this on that first point. Watch where you go when you're emotionally low. Watch where you go. While guys can do this, girls tend to do this more. They tend to eat. They go for the chocolate. That's their comfort food. Guy's comfort food is sex. And whether that's getting on the internet, looking at pornographic material, masturbating, or having a one-night stand, that tends to be the food of the emotionally low guy. Granted, you say, I like chocolate too. You may like chocolate too. (laughs) Some of you may combine the two acts together. I don't know. But watch where you go when you're emotionally low. There's a good time. There's, there's some good times for you to be alone by yourself. And there's other times it's just good to be around some mates. Got it? You're emotionally low. No one's at home. You've got a computer in front of you. For a guy, that can be really, 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 really dangerous. And you looking at one pornographic image in and of itself is not the issue. But every addiction and every problem starts somewhere with that one look. Are you hearing my heart on this? Or who's thinking, I wish I'd stayed in bed this morning? (laughs) Secondly, fill your life with positive influences. Nothing influences you more than the people you hang with. 
The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man. You don't want mates in your world that just agree with everything you do. You want guys who can say, hey, buddy, love you, but this is going to kill you. And if that doesn't kill you, I'm going to kill you. That's normal for me. I realize that that is not normal for many people. I know the church is not perfect. The church has its faults, granted. But there's no place like the church when we get it right. If we can have some mates that we are open with and vulnerable with and accountable to, it's really, really exciting. The people you hang with will either sharpen you or take the edge off you. They'll either sharpen you, keep you sharp, or they'll blunt you. Your value system will wobble when you hang around the wrong people. See, when Jesus left heaven to come to earth, he came as an example and showed us how to live. And so he went to the pubs and clubs, and and I'm not against you going to pubs and clubs as a Christian. The question I have for everyone who goes to the pubs and clubs is who's being influenced? Are you being influenced or are the people you're with being influenced? Because if you go to a club or a pub and you dance like everyone else and drink like everyone else and talk like everyone else, I would say that they are influencing you. There was a time back in my late teens when I used to go to clubs because I just loved dancing. And dancing was, wasn't really you know, big in the church we were part of. And I just loved dancing. And so I would literally go with some of my mates and watch them get drunker and drunker. And I wouldn't drink. And I'd just be on the dance floor dancing. Generally, I'd end up with all their girlfriends. We'd just dance and have a great time. I would go home prior to about 12 o'clock because I realized after 12, nothing good can happen. I'd go home wringing wet, just from having had a great time. And have a great night. It's possible. It's possible. And I've seen some of those friends become Christians, which is awesome. So the question is not what are you allowed to do, what are you not allowed to do? The question is who's being influenced? See, religion is all about what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed. That's religion. And I hate religion with a passion because it doesn't represent Jesus. Christianity is following the example Jesus set us. It's not a list of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And Jesus was brilliant at bringing wisdom to circumstances and situations. And he confused the people because one time he'd say this and the next time he'd contradict himself seemingly and say something the opposite. And people got confused because, hang on, which one is it? He said it's both. It depends on where you're at. And so I would say for many of you, you shouldn't go to pubs and clubs just because you're not mature enough to handle it. But if I said we have a law we're not allowed to, there's something wrong with that because we're adding to Scripture because there's nothing about that in Scripture. You're not allowed to go to a pub. Jesus did. Jesus actually was accused of being friends with drunkards and tax collectors and sinners and hanging around all the wrong people. So Jesus actually did those wrong things, inverted commas. But he could handle it. If you can't handle it, I would encourage you to stay away. But all of you should have men in your world to say, buddy, that's not good for you. That person, they're not good for you. 
That girl, that's not good for you. If you don't have that, you're setting, it's another thing you're setting yourself up to make a tough job even harder. All of us are susceptible to sexual temptation. Without avoiding situations that breed temptation, without having people in your world to help you, you're making a tough situation almost impossible to overcome. See, I'm not standing up here and saying, I haven't fallen in this regard because I'm such a mighty man of God. That's a load of rubbish. I'm telling you that this hasn't happened for me, praise God, because I've been managed to avoid situations that have breed temptation and I've got the right people in my world. On a note that's slightly askew but highlighting the point, my son Mitchie went for trials for a new soccer team and it meant he would have to play on a Sunday and we were never open to that but a friend phoned up and said, look, can you just trial? And we thought, you know what, let's just let him trial. It was at a time that didn't interfere. And lo and behold, he had a really great trial and he actually ends up getting in the team and he's able to play for a federation team. And you should have seen his little face. He's like, wow, I get to play federation. It's awesome. And there's something about me that's excited as a dad because I did that and, I, man, I'd love to be able to be there and watch him go through the ranks. And yet there's this gnawing, nagging feeling that I'm like, I don't know if this is the best thing. I, I could talk, I had all these great examples of why it would work. Uh, you know what, it finishes at this time, we'll be able to finish church, we'll be able to shoot him down, we we'll probably be able to make it. And I was justifying everything. And so then I invited two people into the situation. One was Pete and, and another one was um, a friend of Cassie who's actually ministering at the True Colours conference, Jane Evans. And Jane uh, was asked the question of Kath, what do you think we should do? And Jane didn't say you're not allowed to. Don't do that. She said this. She said, answer me this, Kath. Is there a call of God on this young man's life? And Kath said, I'd have to say yes, based upon this, this, and this. If you know anything about Mitch, there's this intuition, there's this leadership thing going on, there's this observation thing. You watch kids follow him. He's a real leader. And so I I think there is a call of God on his life. And so she said, based on that, I think for you it's a no-brainer. In other words, she's saying he's going to have the shortest federation soccer career in the history of federation soccer careers, which is cool. But now I've got to sort of have a talk with Mitch. And to be honest, I knew. It's amazing what we actually know. We kid ourselves that we don't, but we actually know. And so I spoke to Mitch, and I, and I said to Mitch, hey, Mitch, We've got to phone your coach back and tell him whether we're in or not because we never committed to actually playing. We just wanted to see first if he'd get in. And I said to Mitch, I said, look, we've got to phone your coach, but I want to question. Because I, I, I want to treat him, and I think this is Parenting 101, don't treat your kids as just kids. Treat them as human beings. They're not idiots. Include them on the journey. So here he is as an 11-year-old. I said, Mitch, answer me this. Do you sense something of a call of God on your life? And I love kids. They keep it really. says, what do you mean by that? I love that. That's just my language. I'm used to that language. So I said, okay. And so I rephrased it. And he said, yeah, I think I do. This isn't dad forcing him into something. This is what do you think. And I said, based on that, what you're feeling, do you think your decision to play on a Sunday is really going to advance that? He says, no, not really. 
I thought, my goodness me, here's a kid who's acting more mature at 11 than most adults I know. He didn't cry, he didn't pout, he just saw the wisdom of it. I didn't tell him what he's not allowed to do, I just include him on the decision and, and try to see that if he can see the wisdom in it. And so by having someone in your life, it's not someone who just tells you, what, but just helps bring some sanity and some wisdom into your life. They won't treat you like a little kid, but will treat you like a man that you are and to help you make good decisions. And so his sister, uh, without knowing that conversation, probably 15 minutes later, said, hey, so which team is it you're playing for again? Is it Parry Hills, Knights, or is it Modbridgets? Who is it? He said, actually, I'm not playing for any. He said, oh, okay, then, cool. Now, I know someone who's got a twisted view of the church, what they might do with that. Oh, that, you're not allowed to play. No, no, no. You don't play sport on Sunday. But for Mitch and where he's heading, it's not the wisest thing for him to do. I don't put that onto everyone. But that decision became clearer through having the right people in my world. If you have the right people in your world, not, not stupid mates that are struggling with the same thing as you are. You don't want to go to someone who's addicted to porn and say, hey, what do you think of this? They'll say, I've got some better stuff than that, mate. <laughs> That's not what I'm on about. What you need to do to, by starting this process, if, you, if you're not good at this and you don't have anyone in your world, I'd probably go to someone, look around this room and say, who won't tell me what I want to hear? Start with that person. That'd probably be a good place to start. Because this thing of finding the person who'll tell me what I want to hear. Hey, Moggy, what do you think? No, I don't like that. What do you, no, I don't like that. I'm not going to make, no way. Um, <laughs> let me go to some younger guy. He might, you know. And you go to 10 people and on the 10th person, you finally get someone who agrees with you and says, yeah, I thought so. I won't do this because those who don't really feel committed to this will feel like they have obligated to stand. But honestly, if I was to ask all the men who st- to stand up, who actually agree with these first two points and actually living it out right now, there'd be a stack that could stand up, that you could go to, that have example and are modelling this. And if we could do it more and more and more, and the church could first get it right. We can actually be light and we can be help to the people we're trying to reach. We're not going to save a city by holding a placard saying God hates homosexuals. That's not where it's at. Sex before marriage is wrong. That's not where it's at. It's actually getting alongside people, spending time with them, getting to know them, loving them and helping them that way. Jesus didn't stay in heaven and say, Oi, stop it! He got down with them and got to know people and talked to them. So you've got to get in people's world. But in getting in people's world means you can get grubby. Which brings me to my next point. You've got to bathe daily. Because we live in a grubby world. You can't watch a television. It's amazing. People think Christians are brainwashed. And we are. Absolutely we are. But no more than anybody else. Every person on this planet is brainwashed by someone or something. And living in this world means we get brainwashed and we get grubby and our, and our convictions wane. And so we have to wash our minds and wash our brains again with what? The Word of God. You know, if you do a first aid course, I've been alive long enough to know that you can learn how to do one thing one week. You go back next year to do your refresher course or three years later and it's all the opposite. 
You put butter on sores, now you don't put butter on sores. You put ice on, now you don't. It's true. It changed all the time. In a matter of three years, everything you learn changes. The word of God for six hours, same, 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 same. And yet we get labelled and ridiculed and mocked. But I think it's weird to go to a course and three years later it's all different. To go back another three years later and that's what you learned six years pre. Like, what? What is it? Word of God, the same, the same, the same, the same. So saturate yourself with the Word of God. Let me finish with this thought. Listen to the alarm bells. I don't know how many of you have a swimming pool we do and when certain things are running low it beeps when the chlorine is low there's a red light that flashes the beeping and the flashing is there to bring my attention to a problem Here's the point. Alarms and flashing red lights don't fix the problem. They tell you there is a problem. And every one of us in this room has a built-in alarm system. It's called our conscience. And you can't do the wrong thing without knowing it's the wrong thing. Unless you do the wrong thing long enough and your conscience becomes seared. There's no person who ever stole something from a shopping centre for the first time and said, well, that felt good. There's this, this is wrong. You do it long enough and that conscience, that inbuilt alarm becomes seared. When you're driving to a young lady's house, there's alarm bells. Your conscience is saying, don't go, turn around, wrong way, go back. But that alarm can't stop you. It's there to warn you. My advice to you as men is don't disarm the alarm. Can you imagine if I looked at my pool and thought, oh, red light's flashing again. That drives me crazy. Smash. (laughs) Fixed it. It's not flashing anymore. No problem. Has the problem gone away? Or have I just increased the problem because now I've got to buy a new red light? When you disarm the alarm, you don't remove the problem. You just make the problem that's already there much larger. I've got so much more I could say on this. But for the sake of time, I won't. But that's what I love about church and the church family is that we're not going anywhere. We're going to be here tomorrow. We're going to be here next week. We're going to be here next month. We're going to be here next year. We're going to be here next decade. And we're going to do life together. And it's for you to embrace that community and ask the questions because you're never going to get all you need in one sermon, one preach, one meeting. But it's as we do life together. Some of you are like, tick, 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 that's easy, got it, because you're in a great place. But right now you may not be being tempted. All this becomes more uh, relevant to you when you're going through it. And so what I would encourage you to do with a message like this is take it seriously. 
and press in and don't be on the outer because this is not a message about condemnation. This is a message about help. I started this, uh, this morning by talking about a friend of mine. I love him dearly and I want to see him restored. I do believe God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. But it is dependent upon the repentance and the ownership of the individual. But there is a better way. Thank God for God's second chances. And if you've blown it and if you've messed up, there is a God that will forgive. If we're prepared to own our mistakes, if we're prepared to fess up, if we're prepared to make the change, there's forgiveness and repentance, absolutely. Thank God for Jesus. Having said that, for the sake of all the people that get hurt in the meantime, it would be much better if we could learn our lessons prior to them happening and save a whole heap of hurt in this world that doesn't necessarily need to be there. If you stand with me, I'm going to quickly pray and then hand back to Mick. Yeah, Father, I want to thank you for this incredible opportunity to gather together with men. I recognize in and of itself the subject by nature can be quite heavy, but I thank you that you are a God who's able to carry our burdens. And so I ask in Jesus' name that you would bring wisdom and sense to this teaching today and that by your Holy Spirit's power you would help us implement what has been shared. Not that we may be pious or religious, but that we may be an example in the community in which you've placed us that we can be for there for those that are in need and who are presently hurting. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.